0: I'm confident that customers will come back. I'm confident that the industry will fight back and we'll be, you know, in a year's time, we'll be hopefully back to some sort of normality. But my biggest fear is um, the labour shortage that we will now face with uh, these international pool that we had that will no longer be available to us. Yeah, that's going to be a real issue.
1: This week on Dirty Linen, we continue to speak to people in Victoria who are of course, as we all are affected by the pandemic and our very slow road to recovery. Although it does feel like we are getting somewhere. Jason Jones, uh, who owns Entrecot and a number of other restaurants around Melbourne, has been a really prominent voice through the pandemic. Um, I have really appreciated his passion for the industry and his uh, <laughs> fervent desire to reopen and welcome customers and do hospitality in the way that he loves. Um, Jason, how are you going?
0: Danny, I am good. Very good.
1: That is good. It's such a charged <laughs> yeah. question at the moment just to ask somebody how they are. I just feel like it's it's always the wrong question, but on the other hand, it's the only question. So, well, it's the end, <laughs>
0: yes. nearly the end of the day, so it's nearly one o'clock. So as the day gets closer towards that time, it's always better.
1: Yeah, great. Well, <laughs> tell me what every day is, is a month and every day is different at the moment, um, as well as in a strange way, also being a little bit the same. But tell me what you've been doing today.
0: Oh, today actually was a, a full day meeting with my uh, management team. So there's four of us in the upper management team, which sort of control all the different venues. And uh, it was pretty much today mapping out what we think um, the government are going to be allowing in the next month. Um, so we've sort of gone through – we've sort of decided to go for worst-case scenario – Um, which is what they gave regional, what the government have opened up to regional, which is, I think, 20 inside and up to 50 outside. Um, And then I suppose we're heading towards that and anything that they decide to give us more than that uh, would be, I suppose, a bonus, which would be great, really.
1: So what kinds of things does it entail? Like to, you've got four quite different venues. What what kind of conversations do you need to have and, and what sort of things do you need to consider? What sort of variables are at play?
0: Well, you know, we can have four different conversations because each venue is just so absolutely different. You know, I've got four venues and they're all completely, um, you know, separate sort of entities in themselves so i mean that biggest ship is obviously on um and we were lucky enough to have that five weeks opening in in june where we sort of got a a sample of i suppose what might happen when we reopen uh for the next uh, stage um we were incredibly overwhelmed by the response of reopening in june uh we really were booked out pretty much for the five weeks within the first week or two, um, which was quite overwhelming. We we weren't sure, you know, how how much, um, uh, what am I trying to say, that the, the consumer confidence would be uh, in going mm-hmm. out after a pandemic or still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, yeah. But we found that, you know, there was confidence and people were happy to come out uh, and dine and – I mean, you know, we're we're social humans, we're social beings, people just can't wait to get out and see each other again. And, you know, now being in this lockdown, that we've been for the last 117 days or 120 odd days or something, I think more than ever, and coming up towards Christmas, people are going to want to get out. But, you know, it does have to be in a safe, regulated way. So because the last thing we want, just like the government, is a third wave, you know, so.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just for people who don't know your restaurants, just tell us about the four businesses and um, oh, so yeah, what, what's different the, about the each mother, of them.
0: The mothership is Entrecotte, um, which is a, a French steakhouse in the old, the uh, easiest way to explain it is the old Lynch's restaurant in um, the main road, South Yarra, um, which, you know, is sort of our uh, biggest sort of business. And then we have. Um, Stanford Park, which is a beautiful old homestead, which has only been open a year just before COVID hit, uh, on six acres in (laughs) Roeville, which is about twenty-five minutes from the city. For those don't don't know out that way, um, on six acres. So we spent three years doing renovating that, and it's a gorgeous old homestead with um, our own vegetable gardens and that. So it's been ever since the um, uh, COVID hit. Uh, it's been in closure in sort of lockdown mode until we decide what we can do moving ahead with social distancing mm. with that venue. Uh, so, and then Boozy, which is a little French wine bar in King Historic King's Arcade in Armadale. Um, and we've just reopened it only about a month ago. Uh, there's no way of really opening it as a uh, wine bar again, simply because of the social distancing regulations. You know, It's the same as like if a classic example is saying Francois, You know, they will not really be able to open. I was talking to Jean-Paul just last week and he said, you know, how can they open, Francois, for 18 people with a one to four square meter ratio? The atmosphere completely goes. It's not what we do. So how do do we reopen? And we're the same with Boozy. It's got such a small footprint for us to open and and set up a team. And, you know, we haven't got the team because we've lost 60% of our team during this whole period because being European restaurants – we have lost 60% of our staff because they held on a lot of them we supported and we held on to them in the first lockdown. Uh, so they were available to come back and work when we reopened. but uh, unfortunately the second lockdown has seen a majority of our European staff uh, head back home. So it's I not want to only... come back
1: to that Just Jason, tell me just of the fourth venue because I think we got up to three and then we'll... right
0: okay what is the fourth our second gorgeous second home. So we've got (laughs) this magnificent old um, 1970s Alistair Knox uh, warehouse in Eltham and we have this beautiful cafe which we just had the fifth birthday for last week. Um, Yeah. And, yeah, it's gorgeous too. We've been operating that the whole way through but simply just as a takeaway – offering. Okay. So,
1: So, I mean, as you talk about these places and, you know, the interior and indeed exterior of these places is such a big part of the experience. Um, And, you know, you talk about Francois, that's another restaurant where it's, um, yeah, we love the food, but it's so much about the experience. Can you talk about that, I guess, what it's been like for you to create businesses that are not so much about, well, they're obviously not about an in-house in, in, in house dining experience. Um, yeah. What's that been like for you?
0: Well, I suppose for me, I grew up in Gippsland and I grew up in a restaurant from the age of 11 called Powers Court, which sort of set me up for the love of hospitality for the rest of my life. And I was actually the resident pianist from the age of 11 there. And by the time I was 17, I'd done my apprenticeship. Uh, there and that was chef headed for I think about eight years and so wow. that was sort of my upbringing um, it, it, so that was your uh, parents
1: go- that owned that
0: no it was actually um a, a, a couple that had owned a restaurant called Michelle's in Armadale and they moved to the country in 88 1988 and I was 11 year old and um, became the resident pianist at um every Friday Saturday night in this ballroom restaurant
1: <laughs> well, that's and so, so amazing. that was
0: when you know Claude Farrell and Rita Ehrlich and you know, all those those guys were the big uh, reviewers and it was all very exciting, heady days. And we had Esso down there, so it was that was a very successful um place. But I grew up there pretty much all my childhood, from the age of eleven. So I just got this incredible love of hospitality and 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 it was the old world hospitality where, you know, at Power School we used to do opera nights and jazz nights and dinner shows and not I mean nothing like the swagman, <laughs> but uh but um <laughs> sorta more it was a sense of fun there was a sense of occasion there was a sense of um you know celebration and going in going to these restaurants so I love creating uh an experience in a restaurant we're never going to be I never aim for chef hats I never aim for awards I aim for just a great authentic experience when you come in uh into the restaurant so and that's sort of what you know I, that's the love of hospitality I have and you know I think I think over the years we've forgotten what the word hospitality means. It means, you know, I say to my team, every time if I see a team member with not grab eye contact with someone within a couple of seconds of walking, you know, I, I just say, imagine coming to my house and you knock and I open the door and then I just turn around from you. I don't say, come in, what, what, what do you want to drink? Do you, look, here's, here's a bite to eat. You know, it's, it's the same. That's hospitality. You know, we're yes, here to be hospitable. But
1: Imagine that you make some food for me and you put it on my doorstep and we have a contactless experience. Like where is this – how do you create the hospitality in that experience?
0: Okay, so that's, I suppose, what – you know, when the first lockdown happened, you know, we thought, oh, we're not really going to make a, an awful lot of money just by opening the doors on the corner store and selling my sausage rolls. So uh, we then created Entrecote at Home. So we did pre cooked steaks uh, which are pre-grilled steaks with our green sauce I mean entrecott, for those that don't know is we only really have one main dish on the menu which is the porterhouse steak with this uh herb green sauce and uh so we we launched entrecote at home which we just launched on a Friday night for pickup at the restaurant and we were doing uh, between 500 and 700 steaks every Friday night um <laughs> wow. for pickup only so that would that went off pretty well and we have we just have an incredible... I mean, I think brand and loyalty and an honest offering um, creates the trust in the community that people will trust that if you're putting something out there, it's going to be a quality So that sort of went crazy beyond our belief. Um, so then we opened up to two nights, Friday and Saturday nights. And then Provador came along and Shane Delia's Provador, which has been mind-blowingly fantastic for us because it's opened us up to well, the whole of Melbourne, plus delivery, and now this week they've just launched to um, pretty much regional Victoria, including Gippsland, Bendigo, uh, Mornington Peninsula, which which is going to be sort of priceless for us because if you think of this Christmas, all our customers will be down in Mornington Peninsula and all the venues down there will probably be still following social distancing rules. So it'll be hard for them to keep up with the the people that's visiting those areas. And I think something where you can order a restaurant experience and it arrives on your doorstep the next day and um and produce that without having to be stuck in a kitchen. I think that's gonna be quite popular down there. So I think even though restaurants will open up in the next month or so slowly, um, the Provador experience or the, the which a lot of restaurants have um, Adapted to, and how have we done it? I mean, we were one of the first to do it, I suppose. So, you know, we do. When we first did it, we did a, a playlist. So at five o'clock, you got a text from us saying we've curated a French playlist for you. We put a, a tapered candle in the box. We made the instructions fun. I did a video on how to do it, and it just becomes there's a sense of fun. It's not just open mm. a box and put it in the you know in the oven and put it. I think once again, it comes back to that sense of fun in hospitality, which sometimes I. I think we lose, <laughs> have lost over the period of time. So, so it's about it's, uh, finding,
1: finding that sense of fun in a different way, where someone doesn't have to be in the room with you for them to be cor- um, wrapped correct. up in your experience.
0: Yep, and I think it will continue. I think we will open, and I think the um, you know the likes of a Provador platform uh, will continue. I think people. Uh, I mean, the amount of, I mean, as a restaurant, you know, you'd get, let's say, we get ten emails. A week when we're open as per normal pre-COVID we'd get lovely emails saying thanks we were at your restaurant had a lovely time we'd also get a couple say we had a shit time but you know that's always going to happen but the amount of emails we get through the Provador and pre, through the entrecott at Home uh, platform we must get 20 to 30 a week of just people saying unbelievable experience we were so hesitant for to order a, a steak that had been pre-grilled and um And it was just the most fantastic experience because you really just open up the box, pop it in the oven and, you know, You've had it I think you've yeah. had it Danny
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah I've and had it it was great yeah, yeah it was it was it really worked and I I did the playlist and I lit the candle and I think at that time you even had a roll of toilet paper in the box so oh, um, right. yeah. you know it was yeah. all it was all, very, it was all branding. very It was all very funny exactly so it was yeah there's definitely it didn't just feel like some food in a box definitely that was There was yeah. an experience as part of so, it but, So I think that, yeah. I
0: think that will continue I mean I don't think it's look I don't think it's going to become um It'll be an arm of most restaurants. I mean, we will be continuing it. We're looking at now, Provador is so big for us, um, but even when we opened in the first, um, when we were allowed to open in June, it dropped a little bit, but um, not as much as probably we thought it would. But I I think with the reach now of Provador being able to be in, you know, Bendigo and order Entrecote at home, or it might be Flower Drum. I mean, the, the fact that you can have Flower Drum or, or, um, you know, Maha or any of these fantastic restaurants um, delivered to your door within 24 hours uh, and be in Bendigo is a pretty outstanding offer, which which would not have happened probably if COVID hadn't come along. And I think and we're going to see retail, it continue on.
1: There's retail that you've done as well, isn't there, that's um, not related to food delivery to people's homes. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah. So we, we had, the gorgeous boys from Boccaccio um, out in Baldwin, they approached me just as the lockdown, first lockdown happened and said, oh, would you be interested in putting your green sauce uh, in a retail offering? I said, oh, I, did, I never thought of it before. So I did a primitive, sort of very primitive packaging concept um, and popped it through to them. And I think we, the first drop off was a box of 24 and and they marketed it. And I think we did the first week, we did 200, 200, uh, they sold 200 units uh, in the first week. And so then we sort of upped the ante and started doing a bit more professional packaging and a bit of lab testing and the whole works. And now we, we're, we've actually now got 36 uh, supermarkets on board and we've got uh, uh, 20 or 30 hours a week, uh, someone in sales and 20 or 30 hours in logistics as well. So the, the, the wow. on-spot source plus online. So it's it's taken off into it and it's, it's another arm of what, we do now which is quite amazing
1: have you enjoyed that um you know reframing what you do or has it just has it just been born out of stress and necessity or has it has it been fun along the way Uh,
0: look I've been so (laughs) I've been pretty upbeat I mean I I wear my heart on my sleeve and I say what I think um but I've honestly it's been like I've opened six or seven businesses in the last couple of months I've felt like I've opened and closed and usually only do I usually only open one or two a year um and I'm about to open another four new businesses because we're about to reopen again. so it does feel like I've had huge ups and I've had huge downs, but really you know it's I've got an amazing team around me I've got amazing network and everyone's kept me up and it's been pretty amazing I've only really had and I'll be honest I had. When the extension of the last lockdown came into place, um, mm. I had a I had a week where I went downhill very badly, and I spent a week in bed. I fell into Did a slump, you? and yeah, it was. I just didn't. I just felt I didn't have any more tricks to pull out of my my hat. I just had done everything I could, and I just felt I felt mel. I went down in the slump with Melbourne. I felt the whole slump hit Melbourne. You know, I felt the whole uh, everyone just. Walked around a bit sadder.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, I think you're right. Well, not that right. I saw him because
0: I, 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 I couldn't get out of bed. I really honestly spent five days in bed and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't face anyone. And my team, I mean, they're used to me a little bit as well because I do have days like that. I mean, I, I'm i a social person but I do have my down time. So then they left me alone and then I just had my five days or six days uh, keeping quiet and then I – during that time built the energy to get back up and start building again, I suppose yeah
1: what what happens is it like you sort of go to bed one night and think you know what tomorrow I'm gonna get up or is it suddenly you just spring out of bed or something or is there a trigger like what makes you sort of re muster your energy again? I think it's
0: it must be that you go on adrenaline for so long adrenaline for so long, but it just all of a sudden it drains you I suppose and then I completely lose I need me time and I can't speak to anyone yeah so I suppose um and I I know the triggers because this has sort of been me all my life this is not just because of COVID um but I've been lucky I've been really lucky because and I have to call it luck because the team around me and the people around me Drive me, and I, I'm the I'm I'm always I, I'm full of ideas and full of concepts. But the people around me then pull pull them together, mm. and that's where I think if you've got a team around you that supports you and have the same beliefs and don't doubt your crazy ideas at times, um, it makes you then think, well, okay, it's now time to get back on with it, and uh, and you see light at the end of a tunnel always you know we will come out of this i don't think everyone will come out of this and i think it's going to be sad to see a lot of places drop and i think a lot of places after christmas um you know will will not succeed and will not come through it um but i think we will come we we will come together and we will we will ban through it we'll get through it i just don't think it's um you know i think there'll be a lot of changes uh, to what you know, the future of the industry. I think prices sort of have to go up. To you know, I was I, mean, I was saying this to someone the other day. I found a 1999 the restaurant um, from Sofitel menu that we must have went to a dinner there when we used to collect menus because they weren't online. Yeah. And um, that the main courses were thirty six to forty two dollars.
1: Oh, that's, that's just and that says it, pre- doesn't co- it?
0: Oh, that's pre, that's pre pre GST. Oh Juice Tea goodness. came out in 2000. So, and we're serving, you know, 22 years, like 21 years later, we're serving um, main courses between sort of $36 and $48. Yeah, so
1: that is so really, crazy.
0: It really sort of makes you realise what we just haven't, we just haven't gone with inflation. <laughs> you know, so there's, a, there's a, prices would have to go up. I think you'll see more set menus. I'm not saying that there'll be three courses or four courses. There might be smaller dishes over a set price. Because you know, a chair now in a, in a restaurant is incredibly valuable. I mean, even the time we opened for that period in June, we went to being a set price uh, lunch right. and a set price dinner menu, and um, honestly, we couldn't have we couldn't have fitted more people in the restaurant if we we tried. We can only fit them as many as we're allowed. But uh, but our spend per head, you know, f- went up from our normal spend per head was ninety dollars a head, and it went up to 135 dollars a head for that period just because of the set menu. So um, hopefully we might see, you know, and I think it's people banding together like, and saying, you know, we as an industry, we are a service industry just like a hotel or a plane and on weekends it's, we need to charge these, you know, 10% surcharges for weekends uh, to cover wage costs and that sort of thing because, we, you know, the people that are paying people, which we all are I suppose now, after all the press from last year or this year and last year, um, you know, you'd hope that everyone's paying state wages that, correctly and and to pay wages correctly and for pay, for, these to, for us to pay these um, penalties, we really need to make it up somewhere along the line. Well,
1: the industry... are
0: you going well, industry... to
1: be the f- first one to put a weekend surcharge on the menu, Jason?
0: Uh, we're, we're certainly not the first. I mean, um, I could give you a handful of uh, restaurants in Melbourne that have been doing it for up to a year already now. And I've had a a surcharge on the menu on weekends for the last six months. Um, Sorry, not the last six months, but the six months prior. But, yeah, I mean, Botanical are doing it. You know, European do it. Um, it, There's so many restaurants and even cafes uh, that are doing it now on weekends. Um, And, you know, we've been, I mean, honestly, I was, I could, on on my hands, I could say that the people would have argued that um, it's not fair that we're we're being charged a surcharge on on a weekend. Okay. Because I think they've seen enough in the news to, to know that there is extra costs on weekends with staffing, so it all sure. sort of makes sense. Yep, but there's a surcharge.
1: Well, staffing is obviously critical to reopening successfully. And you mentioned earlier that you had about sixty percent of your staff who have departed. So I mean, that leaves a massive hole in your business. Can you talk about uh, how you talk about how you feel about the the Plight that those people have been put into, and then about how you're going to recover without them.
0: Yeah, so I suppose that the most devastating part is two of our venues were European, so Boozy and Antracot, and majority of our staff were French, and so we supported them uh, on the books, like you know, keeping them on on, with hours during the first lockdown, and they got through it, and um, just you know, Um, but. I think then when the second lockdown came, they put their hands in your, and so we can't, we can't, you know, get through another lockdown without any work or, you know, minimum minimum hours, minimum hours. So pretty much all our European staff we've lost, and we had probably about twelve under sponsorship in one venue mm. and another couple in another venue. So they've all uh, headed back now. So and the biggest issue we've got now is trying to find staff that want to do the job in Australia is. Sadly, I, um, it's just not seen as a as a career move for a lot of Australians, young Australians. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a a bit of a catfight to find enough staff to roster and to keep the restaurants going. Really, um, because I can't imagine anyone overseas would be looking at Australia thinking, "Oh, let's go over there for opportunity," because the non support they got. Uh, from our government, so it's um, it's going to be tough, and we're we just we just that was the conversation it was mainly today. Is you know we have to restart restaffing to get these venues open because we're opening sort of four venues at once. Um, so it's, it's really gonna be,
1: tough. It is going to be tough, and th- I mean people will be fighting for good staff. Um, they will, yeah. It's, and I, yeah, I don't know how it's th- all going to shake down. To be honest,
0: no, it's the one part that I'm not confident about. I'm confident that customers will come back. I'm confident that the industry will fight back, and will be, you know, in a year's time, we'll be, hopefully, back to some sort of normality. But my biggest fear is, um, yeah, the the labour shortage uh, that we will now face with uh, these international um, pool that we had, and um, that will no longer be available to us. Yeah, that's going to be a real issue.
1: It is going to be, yeah, it will be a real issue. And I'm thinking, I mean, I know your venues are in Melbourne, but in the regions I think it's going to be particularly tough um, without a lot of those internationals. It's, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's certainly something that hasn't been that that lack of support for the internationals was not really looked at from end to end by the government. It's um, yeah. Without those people, I don't know how the industry can um, yeah. Just just, just make baff- it, come back it so baffles quickly. me, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's going to uh, be a lot of challenges over next month. I mean, you know, the, the government are saying that they're only going to allow outdoor dining, and I'm just looking at my window now in Carlton. And it is absolutely teeming down. Now, if we'd had people booked in for dinner tonight outdoors, uh, are they going to come for dinner because it's teeming down? I would say that they're going to cancel their dinner reservation. Um, <clears throat> so it's going to be a very, very... This uh, track that the Victorian government are going down of saying, we're you know, we're going to open up parks, we're going to close down roads, that, that's all well and good. Uh, but when you visit, live this close to the Antarctic and... Uh, we have four seasons in one day in Melbourne and the logistics, just the, the sheer logistics and operational issues that are involved in setting up an outdoor area. And now they're talking, I mean, they've, they've approached us in main road saying, you know, every f- weekend we'll let you close the main road and, uh, and do outdoor dining and marquee. Uh, the logistics in doing that on a weekly basis of setting up that in- infrastructure uh, yeah. is not just not even a, it's not even possible logistically is not a possible and i mean realistically out of those 10 weekends they might be offering for us to do that you might only have three good weekends in melbourne where it's and i don't want to sound like a whinger i'm up for all ideas but um you know, they, well, it's. They, I mean, it's they, just a
1: fact, isn't it? It's like it, for for a start, you know, uh, marquees are not just put up by clicking your fingers. Um, no. People who are Same going to be a, paying, you know, what they need, what they, to give people a proper dining experience. It's you're not just going to put them on a milk have, crate. Um, no, that's right. um, and also, so, And you know, also for co- us to
0: do all that is going to cost us money. You know, and they're offering a five thousand dollar grant. Well, five thousand dollars will probably buy you two commercial marquees, two commercial umbrellas. You know, so it doesn't really go far in the scheme of things. But, I mean, you know, we're we're banding together in Domain Road and we're um, uh, lobbying the City of uh, Melbourne to allow us to use the park across the road where we can set up a permanent uh, two- to three-month um, activation uh, where each Rest- restaurant gets yeah. a, a, a certain thing. So we're in talks with the uh, City of Melbourne on that now. And, you know, it's sort of a, you know, you've got to do that because – but, yeah. I mean, we're, we're a lucky one. We're across the road from the park. I mean, there's only That's 10% it. of restaurants or 12%. Some, I think they worked out in a group I'm involved in that we worked out it's 10 to 15% of restaurants really have the opportunity to do outdoor dining. Um, you know,
1: Yeah, it's it's limited. Now, you speak about the park across the road from Entrecot, and that makes me think of one of the best things that I've seen in the past six months, and that was an image that you shared uh, in the old <laughs> Lynch's days when Lynch's was in your restaurant and it was the grand piano in the park. Um, that's right. Can you tell me about that image and let's just talk about well, what, that beautiful hospitality experience that was represented there.
0: What's funny, because... I, I've been six years in in that in that venue, and I've had so many of the sort of older people say, "You know, Lynch used to set up a summer garden across the road every summer." And I said, "Oh, just yeah, okay." You know, I kept hearing this from this from people, and and I got this phone. I got this photo of him with four or five marquees set up over there, and he would have these fabulous parties with you know. And he'd set up a grand piano in one where, and it was just um, he'd have these functions, and I suppose he probably paid the city of Melbourne with a couple of cigars and. Under the table, um, uh, offering <laughs> yeah. maybe I'm not sure how he got these permits because y- you'd be fighting to p- you get them now. It's for sure, but I think yeah. in a situation like this where the government is saying you know we're going to do this, we're going to cut the red tape, we're going to cut the bureaucracy, they've got to put their money where their mouth is. And you know they're open, and, and to us they're saying oh we're opening applications on the first of October. Well, applications for a couple of thousand restaurants in the city of Melbourne how long is it gonna to take to get the um approval back for that application but then there's all the help you know health and safety and the, and being covid you know and making sure covid safe and making sure that everything's you know done by the books and then to have something operational um, done by the twenty sixth of um um of October, you know Probably, they'll probably give us a week to do these big structure and what we're sort of planning. And it's, you know, it's just not enough time. It's like when they said, our oh, regional can open tomorrow night, you know, and you've got someone like Allerwulf Tusker, who the legend of hospitality, you know, saying, well, you've given us 24 hours. It's not, hospitality is not a matter of turning on the pilot light and we just kick back up. It's rostering, it's ordering, it's getting bookings back in. I mean,
1: yeah, <laughs> but, yeah.
0: and they've been told the night before they can do 20 inside and 50 outside.
1: You yeah, and there's then, a lot of curveballs. I suppose when you are told that you can open, of course it doesn't mean that you're obliged to open and you can take the time that you need to get it up to, of, you know, get your stuff happening. No. But I'm sure, yep. you know, this for somewhere like Lakehouse and of course for yourself as well as soon as people hear that you can open, the phones are well, going off the hook. Going mental. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And that's the thing. But I mean, so we're
0: I, we're trying to act really proactively now to make sure that we're ready in the week to start opening up bookings for what we think will be the minimal that the government will give us. That's that is we're so sort of tough though.
1: Cause that's the other thing. It's like, yes, ask, ask, apply for a permit, but you don't exactly know what the permit is going to be for. We're assuming no. that perhaps it'll be the same numbers as regional, but we're not sure about that. So, I mean, that's it's, right. it's, You've certainly had um it's a guessing game. good exercise in brain plasticity <laughs> or whatever the term is. Yeah, like yeah. The, your Mentalized. neurological pathways will be very supple at the moment, Jason, as you've like had oh. to, you know, change and turn about and turn yeah. It's uh, Well,
0: we're so used to flipping and flopping now. What's another you know, what's another curveball really? So
1: Yeah. yeah um so. Well, Jason, I look forward to being um, out there with the grand piano, whether or not that's just in our minds (laughs) or in reality, on a beautiful, sunny, still day. Yeah. I really, I'm I'm so glad that you've had all these successful um, streams to your business through the past six months and, um, yeah, good luck getting them all back open, uh, getting some staff back in there and creating those beautiful hospitality experiences that you're so good at. But thanks Thanks, so much for sharing the story today.
0: I have to say thank you to you because you've been a godsend during this time for a lot of people that um, have really been struggling. So it's been amazing, uh, your support to all of us as well, so really appreciate that.
1: Oh, well, thank you for saying that and embarrassing me. But honestly, I'm just such a (laughs) fan of restaurants and um, anything, any little thing that I can do that helps me get back in them is um, all good with me. So thank you so much.
0: Absolute pleasure. Thanks for the time, Danny.
1: This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about.